You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. This is an episode about coincidences connected with the Taiwanese American Arts Council's house, Building 7B on New York's Governor's Island, which has affectionately come to be called the Taiwan House. The Taiwanese American Arts Council was selected to be an organization in residence on Governor's Island this year from May to October, and was also the only Asian organization on Governor's Island this past year. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Andrea Corono and Gaoyan, two of the many artists in residence at the Taiwan House. First, we'll hear from artist Andrea Corono about the concept behind her exhibit to ride the waves of Turtle Island and how she didn't realize its connection to Taiwan. So I decided on that title. I was like, okay, that that's what I'm gonna I'm gonna work within this framework of like indigenous understanding of this place and like being with the energy, like riding the waves. Um, and then so I sent it to, of course, the the curator Lucia, and she wrote back, oh. Uh, Taiwan has an island named Turtle Island. I was like, no. Oh my god. So I looked into it. This was, you know, like leading up to it a while ahead of time. So, um, it, it influenced the work, the, yeah, the work that I made. So it was really neat to learn about it because it's not just random at that point. It's like, okay, I have this relationship to this island. I've never been there, but I love it. And it's extra magical because, like, this island is not only named Turtle Island, but it's shaped like an like a turtle, and it's a turtle refuge. And as you know, like Governor's Island, it used to be a military base, and like the one in Venezuela, it's no longer actually also like Governor's Island. It, it's no longer you know there's nobody that lives there. It's just sort of like a natural a habitat to visit. Next, we'll hear from photographer filmmaker Galian about her short film Between Us which deals with the conflict between the indigenous and Hakka in southern Taiwan, and also how Gaoyuan uncovered a surprising connection to Taiwan that actually came knocking on the door of the TAAC house, Building 7B. But first, let's continue with Andrea. I wanted to talk to you about a couple of things because you're one of the artists in residence at the Taiwanese American Arts Council house. Uh, can you first tell me about some of the work that you've had exhibited there? One of them is called Ride the Waves of Turtle Island. Yeah, um, To Ride the Waves of Turtle Island was what I um, named my solo exhibit that I had there this summer as part of my artist residency at Governor's Island with um, Taiwanese Arts, uh, Taiwanese American Arts Council. Um, through Lucia, and um, which was amazing, and I was there. I began going there in April, and then was doing other work. And I did a piece for the group show beforehand, and then that solo show was end of July through August. I'd been um, an artist in residence, you know, on Governor's Island for a few months, and I was sort of working through what I'd built up into creating a body of work for that show. I was sort of piecing things together. Like I didn't have a clear idea. I wanted it to be really inspired by the experience of being there and the materials. So it was really a process. And I had no idea that there was an island um, that's 
called that's called Turtle Island, it's part of Taiwan. And that's one of the things that I found as I went about, you know, kind of, you know, exploring different ideas and my surroundings, is finding all these synchronicities and connections that just kind of panned out. I really couldn't have imagined them. A kind of where that began to come together was it has to do of course with a bit of like what I bring in terms of my own interests. The curatorial theme is island to island. Being from Venezuela on my dad's side I grew up um, very much part of like every year um, was going to the ocean like my dad was that was his happy place and so I grew up um, learning how to like uh, I guess kind of understand the ocean. Um, of course, when you're a toddler, it's like pretty intimidating, but um, it was it was just like a constant sort of like carrying me out and like getting to know it and feel comfortable. And now for me, it's just like just most magical place because he eventually taught us, my sister and I, my older sister and I, to ride waves. And so it's just like a, a, a like a knowing of of like being in this relationship with the ocean and also byproduct of my dad and and like this happy sort of way of being together um so yeah i was thinking of of course the coast because venezuela is on like the northern part of south america and it has amazing beaches and it also has islands um trinidad and tobago used to be part of venezuela and there's several other islands but i had no idea that there's actually an island there called the turtle la tortuga it's tiny um, I've never heard a single Venezuelan mention it. Like it, it was shocking to me as somebody who's, you know, from there. I'm dual citizen. I've also gone to school there and everything. So um, that just came about through like um, researching. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a tiny island called the Turtle, and it happened to have been briefly occupied by the Dutch, kind of a parallel with Taiwan, and um, they set up there um, to mine for salt because Venezuela has a lot of resources. One of them is salt in that area. Um, there's more well-known islands like Margarita, which was the third island that you know Columbus arrived in in 1498. So that became a critical um, island and yeah location for like military operations, um, pirates, others. You know besides the Spanish there. Um, from all over the Dutch and the French, and so, um, but in letters, I, this is one thing I kind of, I really am into research, um, and so reading about, like, there's art historians that are now looking into, like, paintings in the, from around that area, like the 1500s, of, like, pearls and, like, you know, these elaborate sort of Baroque paintings of, with these fantastical creatures, with, you know, sea creatures and humans with pearls and oysters. But a lot of that imagination was fueled by these trips and Margarita Island in particular, and it became sort of dubbed the Pearl of the Caribbean um, because the indigenous people there were wearing pearls and there was this abundance. Of course, the important thing to keep in mind in reading these like letters is that there's they're exaggerated a lot of times, both pro and con, to sort of, you know, get their funding or whatever from the royalty. But so much as, yeah, there being pearls there, yes, and there were indigenous people there wearing pearls. And so that captivated my imagination because I'm also really interested in, like, um, ecology. And um, now we know that oysters help filter 
um, pollutants out of the water. And so there's this big initiative on Governor's Island, um, the Billion Oyster Project, to help recultivate oysters along that area. And so I was thinking, okay, there's this connection there between the oysters and Governor's Island and um, the oysters and pearls in Venezuela. So this is all very roundabout. Let me <laughs> trace my way back to your question a little bit about Turtle Island. One of the beautiful experiences of being part of this residency was going to the opening ceremony. I've been to you know, a lot of talks and everything. There's uh, land acknowledgments, but this was the first one I'd been to where there were um, elders of different indigenous groups, including the Lenape. And so I remember one of them, I'm pretty sure his name was George, and he was, gave a longer talk. And um, he talked about certain like ongoing issues that they're facing, about like tribal recognition and everything. And in general, very interested and committed to indigenous histories, political struggles um, for recognition. And I was inspired by that, for sure. Um, because I wanted to know and understand more about the history of Governor's Island. I looked into, you know, the Dutch occupation of Governor's Island and before it was called Nutten Island, like N-U-T-E-N, I think, which came from the indigenous people's name for the island, which was Pagangnath, I think it's pronounced. Um, but anyways, the original names referenced the abundance of nut trees, like chestnut trees, oak trees and everything that were part, like vital to their everyday life of, you know, foraging fish, I mean, foraging nuts and eating fish and all that. So along those lines, I, I'd already known and heard of North America in general being referred to as Turtle Island, which I thought was interesting because we don't think of North America as an island um, generally. but. Um, in a lot of like Lenape and um, Lenape, of course, being like the regional, one of the original indigenous groups, and other Ojibwe and other indigenous groups um, have this origin story, you could say, creation story that involves a turtle. There's different variations of it, and there's actually a, a book that um, I think it's called The History of Stories or something like that, but it's a, a really great book um, that kind of uses its essays and it uses each of these variations of um, this origin story to speak to like how um, there's always different versions to stories um, and histories, which I think is important to keep in mind. I think there's a line that says the truth of it is, is that all we are is stories, um, which was another synchronicity because um, that was a line that I saw that was framed in the previous artist's exhibit, Sarah Walko. And I, I read that in her exhibit, and it kind of stuck with me. And then when I was researching, I found it in this book about Turtle Island. So that was my reason for including the title. And I liked that, of course, Island connected with the theme, and also with my connection to Venezuela as referencing, you know, implicitly water, um, being surrounded by water. And for me, that's like a very healing. Andrea shared a version of the creation story told by the Lenape indigenous peoples from the New York region that explains the connection between the turtle or the turtle island that became North America. I mean, just to give an idea, more or less the story has to do with um, there's like a conflict among the humans and then um, sort of the creator floods the land and sky, there's a sky woman and she falls from the sky and she's on earth, but it floods and the animals gather and try to help. And so 
different ones try and go down and, and to the earth like muskrat goes and manages to gather some earth and it comes back up and, and puts it on the turtle's back but then it, it doesn't survive. So, but the turtle keeps the earth on its back and it, and it expands and then it becomes North America and, and so. One of the things I took away from it was the testament to like this cooperation and the agency of animals, humans, and creating the space. That's very interesting. So the story that you're telling, is this the indigenous people's story of how North America came to be North American Turtle Island? Because you refer to three turtle islands, right? The one that's near Venezuela, then the reference to North America, and then the one that's in Taiwan. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea about it, you know, Venezuela or Taiwan. So I just decided on the title. It's like, you know, it has to be Turtle Island, like Riding Waves. Can you talk about the Riding Waves? I'm very curious about that. What does Riding Waves mean to you? Because you said that through your fathers and your family, you got familiar with the ocean. Like, what does that mean? Does that mean, like, were you on a waterboard? Were you like swimming? Were you on, in a boat? Or like, what does that mean, riding the waves? My dad grew up like having a lot of freedom, being able to go out on like a little motorboat and, and just like go out to the sea. And I think that sense of freedom stayed with him and he passed it on to like, my sister and I. So the city of Caracas is like right by the ocean, but there's mountains um, in between. So we'd go like, this very remote area that didn't have like um, didn't have roads, so it was, like, it was an adventure to get there. And we'd get there, and it was just I'm saying this just to give a little bit of context of it's this fishing village that is all descendants of um, people who um, escaped slavery. We were basically the only people that weren't of African origin in the town. And the reason why my dad even knew of this town is because his dad was a prominent doctor um, of indigenous descent. And uh, for whatever reason, I don't know why, he ended up going there and there was no hospital. So he returned and founded a, a little, you know, very basic clinic. And um, they celebrated with drums. There's like a yeah strong tradition of like music, drums, and like fishing. So my dad had known the town since he was a kid. So there's like this ongoing relationship. So there was like being brought up within that history, and one that I associate with freedom. Like I would see, but I would just see little boys and like with like just little boys, and they'd go with so much confidence, like tumbling towards the ocean, like running down like, ah, and then they'd do like a flip in the air right in. I never managed to do that, but my dad did teach my sister and I how to just like be able to watch the waves coming in. He'd like position you, okay, like watch. And then like as it gathers, like before it breaks, you turn and then like you position yourself and then you just go and it carries you. So yeah, it's just like your body and the, and the waves carrying you and then like it's very exhilarating. So really, literally. literally, no assistance. And like initially, we tried with a boogie board, but it's kind of cumbersome. Like you really just want to be in it. Like once you learn, it's exhilarating when it takes you all the way to the shore, and like you wave at each other. So it's it's kind of like that exhilarating feeling. And like sometimes some are really big, and you're like, whoa, they're all different. And so it's kind of like being able to be with the energy of where you are. Andrea also described one of the paintings in her exhibit called We Wore Pearls First. It's like very blue and um, 
sort of emerging in the middle is is the image of like a young woman. She's resting her head on her hand and she's looking at you. And she's wearing a huge pearl earring and like a little necklace too. But that one I made sort of using an amalgam of images, but indigenous women and thinking of like the indigenous population in the island that's now called Margarita, which and talking to people also was interesting because they also had, you know, there were visitors from Italy and they're like, oh, Margarita, like the pearls or something. Yeah, so the indigenous people, there were pearls, and I wanted to pay homage to that history because of how pearls, at least in the U.S., are generally thought of as like this 1950s prim and proper thing and, and you know, wealth and high society. And also in that era, pearls were very valuable, like they are now, like diamonds are now. Actually, it's in Japan that somebody, yeah, that they created a way to cultivate them. Unfortunately, indigenous people were enslaved and um, had to like go deep diving for pearls and and that wealth that they produced through their labor and, and the land became part of Spain's the crown's the colonial wealth and but it also possibly fueled like the general European colonial imagination of, of riches and wealth to come to the Caribbean for. And as part of my research, I actually watched. Pirates of the Caribbean, I'd never seen it, and the whole thing, they're after like this black pearl, and so I was like, yeah, Margarita, um, but yeah, and but I mean, also connecting it to the history of painting is, of course, Vermeer's um, Girls of Pearl Earring, and of course, it's a masterpiece, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing, but part of my approach to painting, like I said, has been people, but it's also been connection, and and especially, I don't think I mentioned is especially women as agents of history. That's one of the things I'm most passionate about. Another painting was we took refuge in the mountains. And as you know, there are islands with mountains, like Turtle Island in Taiwan um, has volcanic mountains. And the Haitian side of Hispaniola has mountains. So there's this narrative that I really wanted to work against in terms of the Caribbean and indigenous people, which is... You know, even in the Smithsonian, it's that Native American indigenous people were wiped out. So with this work, I was trying to sort of work through different aspects of the history of how people and women especially have been vital to surviving. And um, I don't know what, you know, depends on what you count as indigenous, but certainly there's different ideas of it. There are indigenous communities within Puerto Rico um, that say, you know, they claim ancestry. And so I think that's important to recognize. And one of the ways they did that was by going to the mountains. And so they escaped being counted in the census. And um, also in the island of Hispaniola, Haiti, they, there's also mountains there. And some also went to Honduras. And so the woman that I depicted in that painting, um, it's, it's mostly she's there as like this huge head um, because I wanted to put her as like this huge presence. She's um, a very contemporary figure. She lived till 2016. Um, Berta Cáceres. So environmentalists may have heard of her. She was very inspiring and like awarded activist for environmental rights and the Lenca indigenous people. Um, but she was targeted because of her work and she was murdered. She has daughters that have like stepped up and are continuing her legacy. So I, I put her there as part of the mountains and her daughters holding microphones on either side of her and smaller figures, but like continuing the legacy, which I think is really Part of what I'm trying to do throughout the head that I have and take most of the painting, um, she's there as like part of the mountains, the landscape. I have like a layer over her of like acetate that I've painted over, 
and at the bottom right and left corners are smaller figures um, holding microphones and those are her two daughters she has others but two that are very much taking up her um, platform and really calling attention to the damaging effects of mining which now people are have growing awareness of in the U.S., but there's been a lot of efforts in Latin America among indigenous women, especially um, against, you know, she knew she was being targeted. And so I think, I, you know, I wanted to highlight their bravery and the legacy that's living and alive. It's that, you know, the indigenous people are alive and fighting for basically everybody to, be, to protect our resources. Andrea talked about how growing up, she always wanted to be an artist and how the seeds of that were planted early on. Yeah, very guilty. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, I was like, oh man, I had a very encouraging dad, and uh, he grew up around art, and uh, yeah, my that whole side of his family was immersed in it, and like paintings. So like, the influence from Venezuela is very strong, like self-taught artists, and also, um, you know, professionally recognized artists, and it was like... Uh, it was very rich, like intellectual arts environment. To just, it just felt natural to me. But also, I think I just felt at home, just like having something in my hand to draw with all the time. And I didn't understand all this text and books. I was like, "What are they looking at? <laughs> like, can I draw on top of it? It just doesn't look so, you know." So yeah, and my dad referred to me as like the little artist, and I just took it as a fact, like. I mean, I draw, I'm always making stuff. And uh, so I didn't really have any, I didn't understand what they did or what anybody else did. I was just like, I, I'm, I'm making stuff. And they would try and put me to bed and I, they'd find me up and be like, Andrea, what are you doing? Guys, I have to draw. Do you notice any themes in your art or topics that inspire you? I was always really interested in people. Um, you know, like our eyes, our faces. I think that also had to, a lot to do with like, growing up bilingually and like having different relationships to each language and like the family members and always being in different places and trying to figure out like what was going on and like I was always the youngest and they were always having like these conversations even if it was in whatever language I felt most comfortable at the time I had no idea what they were talking about a lot of times but I was very curious yeah facial expressions were always fascinating to me and also just like even if I couldn't communicate in the way I wanted to you know, to like, whether it's generationally, to have like the lingo, you know, with like my grandparents or whatever, um, or like, you know, you've lost a sort of familiarity for me. It was just like feeling at home and like looking at somebody's face and like just being able to connect in other ways. I was really drawn to portraits and I think that like veered away, but I always come back to that. And now it's time for a short break. Talking Taiwan is an independent and listener supported podcast and our two-person team is committed to producing meaningful content for you. We just started publishing our interviews on YouTube so that more people can discover us, and we've already heard from our listeners that it's easier for them to watch and listen to Talking Taiwan on YouTube. We could always use additional support as we continue to make improvements like this. In fact, any donations that you make right now will be doubled as a part of our matching donor campaign. We are so close to our goal, to make a contribution to Talking Taiwan, you can go find us on GoFundMe.com or visit our website at TalkingTaiwan forward slash support. Now, back to our episode. I also spoke to photographer and filmmaker Gao Yan, whose short film, 
between us screened at TAAC's house. Galhian shared a funny story of how she accidentally got into photography while in high school. When I, in high school, I started being photog- uh, taking picture by accident, we had a competition for the school. Mm-hmm. And then I win. I went to the first prize winning school. Wow. Uh, how so did that accident. happen by accident? <laughs> I funny. know, I know. So, uh, I, I know, I don't know why. And then, and then my teacher said, hmm, okay, maybe it's by accident. And then next year, uh, we have another competition for the photography school. And then I su- submit my photograph. And I win another uh, first prize. Wow. So, and then my teacher said, next time you're not coming to don't do the competition, <laughs> you always do first. <laughs> it's funny. Right out of school, Gaoyan started working as a photographer. Later, she went to Japan to study photography professionally. Then she decided she wanted to work with moving images, which led her to come to New York to study filmmaking at the New York Film Academy. We talked about a short film between us, inspired by the historical conflict between Hakka and indigenous people in southern Taiwan around the 1860s. We'll share the YouTube link to the film on our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. The beginning of the description of Gaohir's short film Between Us reads, The story takes place in the conflict between the Aborigines and Hakka people in southern Taiwan. After the conflict, the Aboriginal marriages crossed the river, and the ethnic groups walked hand in hand in the stream of the River of Life. Galhan explained the significance of the river. I'm going to explain about what's being crossed the river, the marriage crossed the river. Regional people that have a special culture in South Taiwan, this group is the Kopaiwan group. And these people live in more in mountain, mm-hmm. in the mountainside. And they have a water. When you see the field, you will see a big river. So I'm shooting in their village. I'm shooting in the Paiwan village. So when they marry, and you have to carry the, uh, the woman across the river. Yes, on the back, <laughs> so, right? I carry her in the back, not in the front, not like Americans, and they put her in the, <laughs> sure. in the front, they put her in the back. Uh-huh. It's funny. Mm-hmm. And then they have a special chair, you, they put it on, on the back. Mm-hmm. So the woman had to speak in that chair. Mm-hmm. Yes, interesting, it's special. Mm-hmm. So actually, I really have a friend, he is a Hakka, and then he married the Obri. Aboriginal uh, woman, uh, they did marry. <laughs> so, uh, so, so the idea also come the yes, couple from real life, and it's real life. Yeah, yes, and, and I find out they have lots of couple like this. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. They marry. They husbands different. Uh-huh. Yes, it's quite interesting. And they told me a little story. Uh, how did I meet? Is there anything interesting that you'd like to share about the filming of Queen of because you mentioned that it was shot at a Paiwan village. Is there anything else special about the filming or something that happened during the time you're shooting? 
Mm-hmm. I think the uh, because of the place I shoot in the place in South Taiwan is called Pingdong. Yes, uh, it's very beautiful area. Mm-hmm. It's not very tourist, mm-hmm. and uh, and then special. They have a lot of indigenous people and also Hakka people, and they have a very good food. Mm, <laughs> so yes. lots, of, lots of North Taiwan people they all come to South uh-huh. to discover, uh, just discover the food. And then I think in the film, you know, the people it's uh, originally people you will see a man and a little boy. So the little boy is funny, and uh, in the film. He, he's very open. So when I shoot in the film, he's always talking, talking all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, special, uh, another, uh, because of kind of like a love story because, uh, the original people and the Hakka woman and the young woman, uh, she's there, right? She's only one's different. And so the boy is quite interesting and say, Oh, why you come to my village? She, he kind of, uh, very, very, uh, curious about this woman. And, and she's, a, she's a also very beautiful too. And then, and then because I say, oh, you have to walk in the river and hang with the hand. And then the boys are always talking. I say, oh, you got one to marry? Really marry? <laughs> <laughs> but no, we just, uh, they, they're not couple actually. Yeah. They, you know, the, right. the, uh, woman, yeah. she's my friend, and not okay. a friend, and they may make okay. shadow. So, okay. <laughs> so the actor, yeah. like the boy, really was the Aborigine, and the woman was a hug. Yes, yeah, it was yeah. real, right? Yeah, yeah. It's real. Oh, mm-hmm. that's so interesting. Um, yes, I'd like to talk about in general more about your filmmaking. Like, how would you describe the films that you make, or what kind of topics inspire you to make films? I think I'm not kind of traditional filmmaker, you know. I'm coming from the, mostly from my visual, uh, when I see something and, uh, very different and very special and, uh, sounds, something happened. Uh, m- most of the things is they all relate with me. Uh, example, something accidental. And I meet some, some people and I find out, oh, story very interesting. And, uh, that's why I started. Yeah. I, I, I was starting, uh, making a project. Actually, I doing films look nice when I doing my art project. <laughs> so every time I work in, uh, photography, even my photography, I don't use, sometimes I don't use camera. Oh, and I hire I hire somebody to take a picture. Oh, I just have some idea for my art project, and sometimes I writing what I want, the story. So when I w- work in photography, I already kind of like a work in the film, oh. and uh, I write all the idea something. And yeah, before um, you even take the picture, you write all these. Yes, ideas. yes. Hmm. So I, I I spend more time to preparing. Oh, mm-hmm. that's very So actually photography for me is now taking pictures now important for me. It's kind of like an idea. I'm working the concept and the idea. Mm. Mm. So I used, used to be doing this 
for many years. So that's why I'm shooting film. It's come. It's coming from my previous. I I work the Your project. Practice, yeah. At practice, know, a, yes. That's a very interesting approach because um, mm-hmm. you know you you prepare your idea all that and so maybe because you prepared all this when the moment comes you know that that's a that's a photo there right yes yes yeah. yes right yeah, interesting <laughs> because you always hear that it's, the timing is so important when you take do photography right to capture the moment <laughs> right yeah. so i i had been doing this kind of photographer project for many many years so every couple of years, I will have some kind of subject. Yeah, yeah, and speaking of your photography, I noticed, I think I saw on, I think it was your website or some website that was featuring you. Mm-hmm. I noticed that a lot of the subject matter and the models that you photograph have tattoos. Is that something more recent or just for some particular project or... Do you have some kind of fascination with the tattoos? Yes. Uh, you know, I started uh, photographing tattoos when I just graduated from the Jap- Japan University, oh, cool. the long time ago. Okay. That time in Taiwan, you cannot see it. people have a tattoo. Right. I think right. almost 20 years mm-hmm. when I graduated mm-hmm. my university. So oh, I think you, you couldn't see that not too popular, especially in Asia, mm-hmm. in Taiwan. And not so many have a tattoo. Mm-hmm. So at first time, uh, see the tattoo, it's from the, uh, he's a tattoo artist. Mm-hmm. And also in the tattoo studios, not too many, uh, tattoo artists. And in he, Japan. In Taiwan, in when Taiwan. I come back oh, okay. from Japan to okay. Taiwan. Oh, okay. So, because I'm working commercial photography, yeah. and then and the one day uh, the tattoo artist he want me photograph his advertising. He want to put on his uh, tattoo work yes. in advertising, and this is I first I see tattoo. That's twenty almost twenty years, and then I um and she, I realized the tattoo that time's only mafia. Oh, only mafia wow. have a tattoo. <laughs> so this is my, wow. and then, yes, yes. And because only mafia, the mafia gangster is, is we call gang, gangster. Gangsters, yeah. Gangster, they have a tattoo, the so whole, whole t-shirt. Wow. Because they don't want to see the hiding under the t-shirt. Wow. Yes. So, so my first, uh, photograph a tattoo. Models, they all gangster. Oh wow! <laughs> and but, they nice. Yeah, I have to tell you, they are nice. They are nice people. They're not bad. <laughs> they now yes. That's funny. So, but mm. you but you started photographing tattoo models in Japan, right? Because I imagine in Japan they have more of that tradition. Because there's it's like an art form, like it's so intricate. Yes, the tattoo artistry in Japan, right? And also in, because of Taiwan, that type of tattoo is the influence from Japan. Okay. So I think the tattoos coming from Japan. Yes. Sure. Be, uh, from beginning. So they have, uh, yeah, the style is more uh-huh. Japanese style. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, I photographed the person. He asked me to take one picture, just uh-huh. one picture okay. for his advertising. Okay. So, and then 
when I photograph in, uh, his friend, the model, you, you know, they say, oh, don't worry. Uh, they are good persons. So, and then, uh, I just only photograph one person. And then I, I kind of like a little bit shocked, you know, yeah. I never see so many tattoos in the yeah. whole body, wow. you know, and yeah. then that time. And, and then, but when I really shocked and uh, they inspire me to say, oh, I don't, I wanted to continue to actually he have more people, more friends. <laughs> I would take up uh, all his friends. Free picture. Oh. I say, I ask the tattoo artist. Oh. I say, uh, uh, you don't have to pay me. I like to photograph more. And then he say, okay, but you know, they are very busy. They are businessmen. They say, uh, you have to know that. And otherwise they don't give you, uh, they don't allow to take a picture. Oh, and mean they I need to, to trust you or something. Yes. Yes. And then I have to see them first to talk. And it, and then they're quite interesting and say, oh, this is young, that time very young. They say, yeah, lady wanted to take a picture <laughs> tattoo. And then and they trust me. So, and then they uh, I arranged the studio and lighting and photographs and all uh, different kind of people in oh. Taiwan. And uh, then sometimes they told me the story uh, uh, about what they do and no. <laughs> wow, you can make a book about that, or I don't know if you're yeah. allowed. Mm -hmm. You have to change the names. <laughs> yeah, these people. But one thing, they don't allow me to show the face. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah, some people okay. They, yeah, they right. only want to be mm -hmm. a photograph from the body. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some people I will show the whole body. Yeah. You know. Are you allowed to exhibit these photos? Have you ever exhibited? I did. Them? Yeah. Actually, that uh, first time when I show, have an exhibition uh, in this tattoo uh, picture, the policemen come to me. They say, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not too many people, you know, it's the police come to me and say, how do you know these people? Oh my the goodness. Apps. I say, I'm just artist. I don't know these people. Oh, did they try to give you some trouble? <laughs> no, no, they didn't. Some people, they just, they look at them, you know, they don't think so. This art. They just oh. thinking, why you take a picture of all these oh. mafia? Oh, I thought you maybe know? they said, where is that person or is that so and so? <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, you know, that, that time they don't have many, any tattoo in Taiwan. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So only, Oh, uh, only special people that have a tattoo yes. also under the, under the teeth, under the clothes. Yes. And then they have a tattoo they cannot show. Throw right. off. Oh, I see. They only show, show their tattoo in the, in the spa, I think. They, oh, they told me. Oh, I see. I and see. actually they're very proud their tattoo. Uh -huh. So, uh, when I'm taking picture, they're very proud. They always yes. explain for me this, what is the meaning? Oh. Why they want to do the tattoo? Uh -huh. So I remember one guy, he said he always, uh, fighting people. He went to the jail many times. And then he said, I want to tattoo, make my tempers better. So oh. the tattoo is helping him. Oh, 
not to kill many people. Oh, wow. <laughs> so the tattoo is good for that. <laughs> he say tattoo is painful. Mm. It's that painful can remind me I want to be a good person. Oh, wow. Wow. So th that's what I heard. Like, I, I heard lots of story about this, you know, then. Mm -hmm. So really don't think about all the tattoo. They have lots of tattoo people. They have bad people. I think there's always a story. Well, unless somebody was careless, but I think there's usually a story as to why somebody got a tattoo. Yeah. And usually, mm -hmm. hopefully, there's some meaning behind it. Um, I know in the past, there's the stereotype, oh, you get drunk and get a tattoo. But I like to think that uh, people, if they purposely decide to get it, there's some reason, right? Yes, yeah. I know. Yeah. So I don't have any tattoo. All my friends say, <laughs> you have a tattoo? Why you always take a picture about having a tattoo? Yeah, I'm sure and, you get that question. <laughs> actually, tattoo is now, I'm thinking that because I'm very early, I'm taking photograph of this tattoo. It's, uh, they say, I think the tattoo is there and not close. Oh, the clothes. Yeah, yeah. So the under under the skin is their real clothes. So so I think uh, uh, for then uh, th I talking about the twenty years ago the mafia. Yeah. They tattoo. They think the tattoo is there another clothes. You yeah, know? Mm -hmm. that's true. Especially right. if it's a large tattoo or it covers a lot. Of the it's body. large. Yeah. yeah. That's and then they do have a, when they take off the clothes. They do have another clothes in the tattoo. The whole body. Yeah. It's a permanent clothes. <laughs> they also don't have the pants. They, they tattoo the whole body and then like, a, they another the, the, in the button from wow. top to the button. Wow. Like a, they have another pants. What? The pants. Oh, that the, sounds painful. Mm, <laughs> yes. <laughs> in the old day, the tattoo, you know, this is very painful. It's uh, not a machine. It's a, uh, they use a needle. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. quite a very painful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's true. I don't know. Yeah. I'm sure. Decades ago, I'm sure it was much more painful. Yeah. That's right. true. I know. Yeah. And, and that brings me to the uh, topic of one of your other films, right? Ocean Tattoo okay. and Bar, right? You also oh, yes. A, yes. This one. The subject who had a, quite, a, a lot, quite a lot of body tattoos, right? Yes, I made this after 20 years. I made this person, uh, about two years ago mm -hmm. and he had a, also a full body tattoo and he's young, very mm -hmm. young. So I'm just very curious one day I made him because uh, it's uh, also for my another friend. He's a tattoo artist and then he have a, a tattoo show. So, and then. I meet the person, he's doing the bartender in the exhibition. I, and the curious, and then I talking to him. And, uh, he said, uh, do you want to take a picture of my tattoo? I haven't asked him yet. He already asked oh. me first. I say, yes, how do you know? <laughs> and then he's very open. And then he said, if you want me in the case, no problem. <laughs> well, he is okay. a tattoo model already, right? Yes, yeah. yes, yes, okay. yes. He had four bodies tattooed. Yeah. And, and then he started told me about the story about have a bar in his hometown uh -huh. in the middle in Taichung. Okay. And then I, uh, he told me all about the story and, uh, I think it's quite interesting. And, and then I, 
me and I, I have another friend. So we went to his bar and also we taking go to another ocean uh, to photograph the about his story. Yeah, when you see the film, you know, you get the feeling that he is very comfortable in his skin, very comfortable in front of the camera, for sure. And yeah. also, I'm very impressed. His tattoo also is like a full body, like yeah. a teacher. Yeah, like a 20 yeah, years yeah, ago, yeah. I photographed the long time this, uh, uh, the, the mafia guy. Huh? <laughs> Same. So if you weren't a filmmaker, what do you think you would be doing? You know, I always want to be painter. Yeah. When I child, I want to be painter because of my family don't allow me mm-hmm. to be a painter. Yeah. I like, I like to do something uh, very different medium. I like to try something new. I also spoke to Lucia, who's the curator of Taiwanese American Arts Council. And she mentioned that you have a surprise project that you're going to be sharing October 28th oh. at the closing of the house on Governor's Island at 7B. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. That's quite a very coincident. Yes. You know, all the things happen in, for me, and like, uh, Accident and yeah. coincidence. Yeah. And this is really coincident, the, the project. And kind of a surprise <laughs> because, because when I in, in Ireland, uh, doing the residency, so the residency don't open the public during the week. So they only open, uh, weekend. Yeah. So when I'm working during the week and then I saw from my window, somebody downstairs raising hand. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, they just raising their hand yeah, and say, waving. hey, hi, hi. Yeah, yeah waving yeah. me. And then I said, I said, no, 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 we're not open. Sorry. <laughs> I just said, sorry, I'm not open. Yeah, 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 and yeah. then downstairs, the person, they said, yeah, yeah. oh, well, we want to come to your house, come to the house because we leave in this house before. Uh, I said, uh, like, yeah, I said, oh, okay. I said, okay, you can talk. So I, I go to the downstairs and open the door. They then, and then, and then they starting talking, say, oh, this is our living room. This is our bedroom. They told me all the before the things, you know, what? and uh, for them, it's a surprise too. They say, oh, the house, I have a long time, didn't come back. And now it's full of art yeah. in the community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, please show me around for the house. You know, <laughs> he said, the second floor is our master bedroom. And uh, my first daughter living here, my, another door, uh, two daughter living uh-huh. and upstairs. Uh-huh. So he introduced all the room for wow, me. Okay. It's funny. <laughs> and, um, and then the very interesting scenes, the former owner, his officer, he went to Taiwan three times. Wow. Yes. So, so he went he to lived Taiwan. in Taiwan for a while. And uh, now he's visiting yeah. for the work. Okay. His name's Douglas Stevenson. That is a Coast Guard, uh, Larson officer. And uh, when he in the Governor Island live in 7B, our house, mm-hmm. uh, he is a commandant. He's still working Coast Guard. So he went to Taiwan, uh, for three times. So he met Kaohsiung city mayor. Yes, he showed me the older picture. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, he showed me all the picture That's when he in Taiwan. 
Yeah, yeah, it's called such coincidence. Yeah, so yeah. it's a lots and lots of talk about. It's quite interesting. Yeah. And then I asked him, "Can you send me some picture when yeah. you are living in this yes. house? I bought yes. this house, yes. so maybe I can uh, do something the project." So yeah. I started thinking. He, I, and then he started collecting all the photographs oh, a long time wonderful. ago. That's yeah. The old picture, yeah. and uh, when uh, and uh, his daughter also connected all the picture oh, for that's me. So, wonderful. so I think I and then I also I taking picture about talking about when he in Taiwan, uh, the story in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. So so I put it together everything. So I think I can make a some project, yeah. another new new show film. The short documentary film that Galyan made about Commander Douglas Stevenson who used to live in Building 7B with his family from 1986 to 1989, is now on YouTube, and we will include a link to it on our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. In the video, Commander Stevenson and his daughter Holly share their memories of the house, his involvement with the meeting between U.S. President Reagan, Vice President Bush, and General Secretary Mikhail Gorbachev, that was held on Governor's Island in 1988, and what brought him to Taiwan in the past. I've been speaking with Andrea Corona and Gaoyun about their art and projects related to the TAAC's Taiwan House, Building 7B on Governor's Island. Now it's time for you to show us some love. We just found out that you can rate us on Spotify. Or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Audible, leave us a review there. It helps others to discover Talking Taiwan. To learn more about any of the items mentioned in this episode, visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. There we'll list any related links. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.